Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Play. Sir. Yeah. Kane is in the building. Yeah. the show goes on all night. Till the morning we dream so long. Anybody ever wonder when they would see the thunder? Just remember when it comes What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Matas from DenverStiffs.com, largest and best Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out if you haven't already. Um, this podcast, obviously, kind of a, a odd week and an important week in the NBA because we are right now in the thick of it for trade rumors, trade misdirection, trade speculation, both, uh, you know, real and reckless. So it's kind of a fascinating week, but there's no basketball being played. So the the, the NBA kind of picks back up on Thursday. Um, but in the meantime, there is still plenty of stuff to discuss. But I think these podcasts for the next couple of days, barring a major trade development, um, these podcasts will probably be a little bit on the shorter side. So I wanted to start with All-Star Weekend. And really talk about uh, Jamal Murray's big night because that was so much fun. Friday night, the Rising Stars Challenge, uh, the rookie, really it used to be the rookie sophomore game. Now it's, I think, BB, BBVA Rising Star Challenge. Um, but it's a showcase of the rookies and the sophomores. And both Jokic and Jamal Murray got to be on the big stage. Emmanuel Moutier still recovering with that back, um, that back injury. But uh, it was great because Jamal Murray was the MVP, and he wasn't just the MVP. We got to see something from him that we had seen hints of uh, earlier in the season, most notably against Portland at home when he scored, I think, four threes in like 50 seconds. But in this game, he got really, really hot, 36 points, nine three-pointers, and it was just cool to see. I don't think there's very many guys in the NBA that have it in them to make nine three-pointers in any game, whether it's exhibition or whatever. Now, obviously there wasn't a lot of defense being played, but the way in which Murray was able to get hot and just it felt like he hit everything he threw up in the fourth quarter, well, the back end of the second half, I guess, since they don't do quarters, which is really stupid. Just make it four quarters. Why do they do that half thing for, for that game? But he got really, really hot. I don't think he was supposed to close the game out. He came off the bench and in the first half, you know, kind of played that one stretch and then didn't get back in. But he got so hot that they left him in and ended up stealing the show from Buddy Heald. Heald, who was trying so hard to to kind of show out and win the MVP, taking up tons of shots. And Jamal Murray goes in there, a guy that was drafted right behind him, and just catches fire and starts lighting it up. And it was cool because, look... I'm a guy that I, w- I would say um, I'm very high on Jamal Murray. I think I've ranked him number two as the Nuggets prospects. I think he has a chance to be a really, really good player. 
But I also don't think anything is certain with him. Like with Nikola Jokic, I think he's pretty much a certain thing. He's kind of proven. With Jamal Murray, he's just a rookie, and he's only playing 15 minutes a game. But he's really – but I wouldn't say he's a slam dunk to be, you know, this all-star level player. I certainly think that's that's within his uh, realm of possibility. I think – I think all-star, really incredible player is definitely, you know, something he can achieve. But so far, we've seen a guy that I think the floor is low and the ceiling high, so to speak. Um, you know, his shooting numbers and turnover numbers and stuff like that aren't aren't great. Um, and it has to be expected for a guy playing his position and kind of in the situation he's been in. But it was great to see last night a guy that just gets hot and makes everything he throws up. And it just makes you excited, especially the way that him and Jokic play together. And that second half when they shared the court together, they had a handful of assists and just good plays back and forth to each other. And it really made you think if Murray, you know, the shot is there. If all that other stuff comes together, it just would be nice to have a guy on the team that's a threat at any given moment to go off for nine three-pointers. We saw it that night, and it was awesome. Jokic had a really strong game as well. It's, it's silly to break down this BBVA Rising Stars game as if a good or bad games because it's it is just an exhibition. But Jokic looked good. I mean, he had some really nice passes. It's cool to see guys get so excited about him. I mean, Reggie Miller and Isaiah Thomas are like all about Jokic. That's their guy. It's almost comical. Vic Lombardi tweeted out that he had talked to Charles Barkley, who had said something to the effect of, you guys don't know what you have yet with those two guys. They're so good. It's, Magic Jokic truly is taking over. He's taking the, the league by storm. Also taking the league by storm, the awesome Magic Jokic t-shirts we have for sale. How do you like that for a segue? Um, I actually got mine in the mail. I wasn't actually planning on plugging this, but I'll do it because I got mine in the mail. And the shirts are actually awesome. I didn't know this is a new company, so I didn't know if they were going to be like this industrial one-size-fits-all type t-shirt. But they actually fit really nice. They're kind of like you know, slim in the chest and waist, and I don't know, they're just, it's a really nice, nice shirt, so if you haven't already, 24 bucks, Magic Jokic, those, they've actually sold like hotcakes, I, I didn't expect us to sell the amount that we did, so don't miss out, hop on, pick that up. The main thing, though, though the meat of this podcast, I want to talk about this DeMarcus Cousins trade, because the trade deadline, in years past, you never know if you're going to get a crazy one, or if you're going to get you know, nobody really moving, or maybe Plumlee was going to be the biggest trade. Not the case this year. DeMarcus Cousins, arguably the most talented big man in all of the NBA, was traded from the Sacramento Kings to the New Orleans Pelicans. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, the Nuggets are the eight seed and Portland the nine seed, and those two teams swapped centers, made a, made a big trade. And then the 10th and 11th ranked teams in the NBA also made a trade. So this is kind of unprecedented in that all the teams, other than Dallas, all the teams that are kind of fighting for this eight seed have all made deals with each other. Now, Sacramento very clearly is making this deal to tank. I think they are giving up on Cousins and kind of resetting. They got Buddy Hield back in the deal. They got uh, you know draft picks. So I th- for them, I think, and who knows? Maybe they'll end up winning anyway. Sometimes that happens. If you remember when the Nuggets fired Brian Shaw, the Nuggets went on like a six-game winning streak or won seven out of eight or something like that. So sometimes teams perform better when, you know, it's the Ewing theory. Sometimes you lose a guy like Cousins and the team plays really well. I don't suspect that'll happen. I think they're very clearly focused right now on losing. Um, but but uh, So they probably get taken out of the equation now for the eight seed. 
But New Orleans, who's just two and a half games, three losses, I think at this point in the season you can start counting uh, a lead by losses, not necessarily how many games back they are, because you can make up wins, you can't make up losses. So the Nuggets are now three losses ahead of New Orleans, and they just require, uh, acquired arguably the most talented front court the NBA has seen in 20 years. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be the best. I, I was very careful to say the most talented because I think Anthony Davis is as talented as anyone at the power forward position. When you talk about both sides of the basketball, he could dribble, he could shoot, okay passer, he can rebound. But, I mean, he's just – he's such an incredible athlete and basketball player that he's a mismatch. I mean, look, he dropped 50 on the Nuggets. I don't have to, I don't have to oversell you on, on how good he is. And then you get DeMarcus Cousins who – he has tons of flaws, tons of issues, but that guy is flat out. I always say Nikola Jokic is the best passing center in the league, and I think that's no question about it. Cousins might be number two. Um, you know, guys like Marc Gasol, Al Horford, they have been more effective probably as passers, but I think that's more because Cousins is a score first type guy, whereas if you just told him to go out there and get 15 assists every night, he would because he's such a skilled player. I mean, he has guard skills and Shaq's body. The guy truly is an amazing player. Now, he has some tendencies both on the court and, you know, as a locker room presence that really, really kill him. And I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if it's going to be interesting to see what Cousins does in New Orleans because if there's dysfunction there or if the team doesn't get better, I mean, then I think we can pretty confidently say it's Cousins that he's the problem. Um, but you know, I think Sacramento and the Kings have had a very unstable. Um, ownership and management and just kind of uh, atmosphere there. The team has been pretty dysfunctional. So is it Cousins? Is it the Kings? I think we're going to find that out here very quickly. But on paper, who matches up with them in the front court? What center matches up with Cousins, first of all? As great as Jokic is, Cousins is one of the few guys that has absolutely dominated him when they went head-to-head. 31 points, I think. Um, just overwhelming power. He's also got a three-point shot. I mean, nobody in the league matches up with Cousins one-on-one. You can scheme for him, and, and you know, you can kind of, there's things you can do to mitigate him, but as a one-on-one presence, as a scorer and playmaker, not a single player in the league can handle him. Not one. And then you look at Anthony Davis, I think pretty much the same story. You know, he's been shut down by guys, or really by teams again, but when you're just talking about one-on-one, there's nobody that says, oh, I've got that assignment. I'm going to lock him down. Maybe Draymond Green. Um, but now you move those two guys together. And just think about how difficult it is to guard those guys. Think about all the different actions you could potentially, again, this is in theory, you can get with those guys to create um, really efficient offense. For me, I would be doing a lot of double high screens to initiate the offense. Both Tim Frazier and Drew Holiday are really, really good at coming off of screens and scoring or kind of getting the ball where it needs to go. When you run double high screens with talented bigs, you have one dive and one pop. So one rolls to the rim, one pops to the three-point line. Usually, most teams only have one guy that can do one or the other. So, for example, you've got the Charlotte, and they've got Zeller who can roll to the rim, and they've got Kaminsky who can pop. You can't switch that. You can't have Zeller pop because he's not a threat from out there. Uh, Same thing with Kaminsky. You can have him roll, but he's not a very effective roller 
um, you know, as far as like an above the rim finisher or playmaker, you know, from that spot. So you have one. Now with the the Pelicans, you can do both. Cousins can pop, knock down the three, go to a dribble handoff, hit the mid range. You if you can pass high low. Or you can have him roll. Nobody, can, I mean, you have to roll with him. He's so big, you have to roll early to kind of prevent him from carving out space on the block. He's flopped that around. If it's Anthony Davis, he's a tremendous shooter, one of the best mid-range jump shooters in all of the NBA. He's got three-point range. Uh, he's also, you know, a guy that can dribble left to right to do these dribble handoffs. I think his passing will improve over time. Or you can roll him to the rim, and he's, in a, he's one of the best finishers rolling to the rim in all of the NBA. He can play above the rim. He's a tremendous offensive rebounder. Um, the Pelicans themselves actually don't offensive rebound too hard, but I think that should and will change now that they have two bigs. They need to change their emphasis and just pound teams on the glass. But he's a guy that his contested offensive rebound percentage is really high. So this is a Nuggets podcast. I don't want to get too thick into it, but in my opinion, people ask, you know, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? And it's such a great question. I'm giving you all the reasons why it will work because those two guys, if they can buy in, um, they just present such an incredible matchup on the offensive end of the floor that I don't think too many teams can deal with. And then defensively, Anthony Davis can guard one through four, no problem. He's so mobile and so so good defensively. He can also come over from the weak side and protect the rim. Boogie's a big enough body that he can kind of anchor the defense well enough to to kind of force them into tricky shots. I just think that they're gonna they on paper can be a great a great pairing. Now the big question mark is both guys love to hold the ball. Cousins loves to hold it at the elbow, hold it on the block, make his decisions. I think of all centers, he has the longest time of possession per touch on average. Anthony Davis is like fifth or sixth or seventh, somewhere in there. Both guys, it's not necessarily ISOs, but it's kind of ISO style in that they like to sit and think and have the ball and, and, and go from there. Their best use is going to be making quick decisions now because you can force the defense into switches if you, if you act quickly. Will that happen? I have no idea. Could you get Carmelo Anthony to be in a high-motion, quick-decision offense? I don't think so because it's just not in his nature. Could you do that for Cousins? I don't know. I don't know that anybody's ever really tried because he's always been such a focal point of the team's offense. Well, now he's 50% of their focal point. Anthony Davis is every bit as important to them. So how well will those guys be able to mesh? How well will, will Alvin Gentry... My big take is that I think that there is, first of all, nobody knows. If they tell you they know for certain, they're lying to you. I think the likelier outcome is that they struggle, uh, that they struggle out the gate. They have a really road heavy schedule. Uh, kind of a difficult, I think of all the teams, I think I saw that they have the hardest strength of schedule ahead of them. Um, and I think that they probably go through a regression period. Solomon Hill, Etwan Moore, not great players, very average for starters at the two and the three. In fact, I would say below average given what the team needs them to do. In a funny way, the team just needs those guys to run to the corner and make threes. They're both okay and inconsistent at it, not great. So I think that I actually think that the eight seed, my original thought was, oh, it's theirs. Just hand it to them now. But after thinking about it for a day, it's been about, about oh, 24 hours since this happened. Now my, my takeaway is that I think actually Denver still has the inside track. And it's tough because the Nuggets just lost to Minnesota, which is maybe their worst loss since December. Uh, I was looking back, actually, at the Nuggets' schedule. They don't have that many bad losses over the last month and a half or so. They have a couple losses that, 
you can justify. Like the Lakers' loss was a bad one, but it was the second night of a back-to-back. There were some things at play there. So there, I looked at their schedule, and really that Minnesota was the only one, and they were missing, what, six guys. So it made me think, depends on what Denver, just, just before we get into any other trade stuff, just what Denver has on their roster, if Plumlee is really just a backup center and they only overlap five to ten minutes, I think the Nuggets are really, really have a great chance of going on a nice extended run here. Um, I think their best basketball could and will be ahead of them, assuming that they're not trying to shoehorn this Jokic-Plumley pairing. And I don't know. They tried to shoehorn the Jokic-Nurkic thing. Maybe the team is more focused on next year and the years down the road. And, oh, if we make the playoffs, great. I don't really know what their motivation is. There's reason to think that they really want to make the playoffs, and there's reason to think that they really want to prepare for the future more than anything. And if they do want to prepare for the future more than anything, they probably will try to figure out how to play Jokic and Plumlee together. And that honestly might cost them three, four, five games, the same way that Jokic-Nurkic cost the team uh, you know, three or four games early on in the season, maybe more when you consider you know, what happened after that with Jokic going to the bench. So, so when I, th- I sat and thought about today, I thought, this Nuggets team, I actually really like it. When Jokic is on the court, they've been great. Now they have a guy in Plumlee that can replace him and at least be average, if not above average. And I actually think they're going to – I still think they have an upper hand on even New Orleans who has some great superstar talent but might need some time to mesh and honestly might need some trades to be made to kind of open up the spacing. I actually wouldn't be – the hot take. I wouldn't be surprised if Omer Caspi sneaks into uh, the starting lineup there because I just think that his his playmaking and shooting – is more important than whatever it is that Solomon Hill and each one more will provide them. I mean, I don't think they need the kind of the dribble drives that that guys like Hill and and Etoine Moore provided before. So that's that. I think uh, if you're a Nuggets fan, I don't, I wouldn't lose hope just yet because I actually think the Nuggets are still the heavy favorite. And there have been number fire, uh, another one of these mini blogs that kind of does advanced stats betting predictions, uh, came out and had Denver as a 44% chance to make the playoffs, which was by far the the strongest odds of all the teams vying for it. Um, New Orleans was only at like 11% or something. So Denver still in the lead in terms, at least according to some of these stat guys. Nuggets rumors are starting to really trickle in, and it's interesting. It sounds like the Rockets are very interested in Wilson Chandler. Chandler, of course, has familiarity with Mike D'Antoni from before. Played some of his best basketball early in his career, honestly, for Mike D'Antoni. It would be a great fit. I don't think that there's a deal to be made between those two teams. Because I'm not sure that the Denver can get back great return for him. There's not really a one-to-one type deal out there that I think Denver can pull off with them. So I would be surprised if that's the deal that happened. But who knows? Maybe behind the scenes there's some bigger type of deal. Somebody threw out Emmanuel Moutier and Wilson as a pair. And I thought, man, of all the places for Moutier to go, Houston I think would be the best for him. I think he would be a very good player in Houston. Um, I think he would reach his true potential. And I like Moutier, so part of me kind of almost wants it to happen just as a basketball fan, not as a Nuggets fan or any of that, but just as a basketball fan because I think it really would jumpstart his career. The level of spacing that they get uh, in Houston is just tremendous, and he would, I think, you know, his assists would just be through the roof. He wouldn't be asked to be too much of a, a scorer. Um, I think he would be a very much more of a playmaker with, with that can also score. So I think he could be really good there. Um, and really develop into a fine player. 
But again, that rumor hasn't come out. That's just Adam speculating. So um, I don't think that necessarily Houston is the place to look. But then again, today there was a report or a rumor, I should say, in Zach Lowe's podcast that uh, or in Zach Lowe's article about trade buzz that the Nuggets were looking for at least one first round draft pick. Um, it sounds like more of a mid to late first round draft pick and probably a second first round draft pick for Danilo Gallinari or Wilson Chandler. Now, I think Gallo is regarded as the better player among the two um, around the league, much more impactful player. And I think that's probably fair. That's why he starts here in Denver. And, uh, but he only has this year left on his deal and then he's a free agent. Whereas Wilson, you at least get a year after this one. So it makes their trade value a little bit more even, I would say. That's a steep price, I think, for Denver. Trying to get two first-round draft picks, I just don't know that teams are going to be willing to part with them. Even if you're talking about a team like Cleveland or, you know, somebody that's going to the, the first-round draft pick is going to be 29th or 28th or something like that. It's really basically an early second rounder or, or about as value as that as valuable as that. I don't think Denver is going to find that for Gallo. Now, what is interesting to me about the rumor is just that those guys' names are allegedly being thrown out there. And I actually think that's a positive thing. I love Wilson. Everybody that follows me knows that I really like him. And Gallo, I think, is maybe the Nuggets' second best player. Um, One of the most important players on the team, no question about it. But I think both of those guys are replaceable. For for one, if Wilson left, the Nuggets still have Gallo. So (coughs) they still have a guy that can play 30 minutes at, at small forward. And then you slide Will Barton over, and he becomes now the backup small forward. It frees up minutes for uh, Jamal Murray to maybe play a little bit more. Wancho Hernan Gomez can also slide and play some small forward minutes. If you want to do a stretch four like they used to with Wilson Chandler, you could play Wilson and Wancho together and kind of have two guys that are interchangeable at the three and at the four against certain lineups. Um, and then if you trade Wilson Chandler, the same thing is true, Just, or I guess I, I did it backwards. If you trade Gallo, the same thing is true. Wilson becomes the starter, and then you have uh, you know, Wancho as the backup or Barton as the backup, you know, some combo there. Um, so I think there's a lot of options. I, I think the Nuggets can do that. I think Wilson and Gallo both might have more value to other teams than, than, the, than to the Nuggets. And again, that's just a credit to the Nuggets' depth. I... Going into this, I think the last podcast I did, I, I've kind of gone back and forth, and that's just kind of how hectic the NBA season has been, or especially this trade deadline. But I've gone back and forth saying that uh, I didn't think the Nuggets were going to make a deal. Then I thought, well, maybe they're going to try. Now I think that the Nuggets are actually really trying to move one of those two guys. I mean, again, I don't have any inside information about this. This is just me trying to read the reports that come out. But now I'm at the point where I don't think I would be surprised if Denver parted ways with Gallo or Wilson Chandler. It does seem to make sense, and if the team is is okay with the risk of missing the eighth seed, which it seems like they are, uh, it said in Zach Lowe's report today that they still feel like they have a great shot at it even without one of those guys, and I tend to agree. So then I think they probably would try to pull the trigger and get something back. If they were able to get a first-round draft pick for Danilo Gallinari, for example, or even for Wilson Chandler, for example, I think that'd be a great return. You talk about next year not having Gallo anyway, year after that maybe not having Wilson and then having to deal with a player in a contract year and all that stuff. If you have a, another solid draft pick somewhere in like the 15 to 20 range, you know what, I think the Nuggets have to feel good about that and it, it kind of changes um, the way this team is built going forward. So again, I would say that the chances of that happening now, I was before at like 5%. 
I'm going to go all the way up to 30% chance that the Nuggets make another trade uh, before this trade deadline on, on Thursday. So interesting developments for sure. It was a fun weekend and a really crazy day. I love this is the best basketball Twitter gets is during these uh, trade rumor moments because people are just going crazy with the speculation and, oh, so-and-so just liked the Celtics page and does that mean they're going to the Celtics? I mean, all this crazy speculation. is To me, it's fun. I mean, it's a little bit crazy, but I think it's fun. Uh, it's part of what makes the NBA so exciting. Free agency makes the NBA exciting, so it's a fun time. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. I think tomorrow, barring any news being broke, I will be breaking down the Nuggets, uh, you know, all of the players on the roster that have been playing and kind of look at their last couple weeks. So it'll be much more of a longer podcast and more in-depth. Again, assuming no news gets broke. We'll see everybody tomorrow. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17